Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. This is episode number 51 of the Gate World Podcast. I'm Darren. And I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds get together and talk about all things Stargate. Today we are bringing back Tammy Farrar, forum moderator over at Gate World Forum. She's going to join us for a very special discussion about relationships in Stargate. And we'll also have a preview of our upcoming interview with Stargate producer John Lennock. And there's lots of Stargate news and site features this week. There's lots of Stargate Universe stuff. Have you been keeping up on this, Dave? More or less. I've been out of town for a little while. Uh, but yeah, I did uh, see the launch of the new website. It is beautiful, stargate.mgm.com. And I have uh, watched most of the character profiles. There's lots of cool stuff to listen to and look at this week. Let's do news. Stargate News. And here are your headlines from GateWorld for July 15th, 2009. Sci-Fi released a brand new SGU teaser called Survive last week. Let's play that. These are the wrong people in the wrong place. The ship is falling apart. This may be our last chance. Stay calm! Some said it was a key to the universe itself. And once unlocked, it would gain untold power. What if we are not supposed to be here? We are going to survive. We are going to make it home. I think that aired with the premiere, the uh, series uh, premiere of Warehouse 13, did it not? It did, yeah. Their big changeover was uh, Sci-Fi Channel to its rebranding on Tuesday. Sci-Fi to Sci-Fi, S-Y-F-Y, and they aired Warehouse 13 as their big new show. And this trailer aired with it. What do you think? I think this is the best one yet. I think this trailer is awesome, and it gets me really excited about the show. Yeah, um, essentially, I'm just waiting for the pilot at this point. I mean, there's nothing in this, really, this trailer that is, like, mind-blowing or that I haven't seen some version of before on another show. Mm-hmm. I'm, thinking of a, I'm thinking of a couple in particular, but I'm looking forward to the show. There's also not a whole lot in the trailer that's actually new, but I think what really stands out to me is some of the, the voiceover lines of dialogue. They really keep on saying, we're not supposed to be here. Uh, yeah, the way that the actors are delivering these lines, my spidey sense is tingling, and it, it feels like there's some really good acting coming our way. I would have to agree. So that's Survive, and you can watch the teaser now at sci-fi.com. And to go along with the new trailer is MGM's brand new official Stargate website. That's at stargate.mgm.com. These guys did a fantastic job relaunching the website, uh, lots of Stargate Universe stuff, obviously, that's the focus, but there's also, uh, there's lots of Atlantis and SG-1 stuff. There's SG-1 bloopers on here that we've never seen before. Uh, a ton of video content. There's Q&As, interviews with Stargate cast members. You can watch full episodes if you live in the U.S., full episodes of SG-1. Same stuff that I think is available on Hulu. I think it's a link to Hulu. Yeah, and then the big feature on the homepage uh, for the relaunch is the virtual 3D tour of the Destiny. This is our first look inside the sets of Stargate Universe, and they took high-resolution photographs and used Microsoft Silverlight and Photosynth technologies and stitched them together to create a virtual tour. You can go in there and look around the gate room and look around one of the corridors and actually zoom in and look at the tiny, minute detail on the Stargate. It's cool stuff. I'm still getting used to Silverlight. It's uh, very strange, but these are really nice features to have, and uh, I'm delighted that uh, that they're available now. Uh, Along with the launch of the new SGU site comes a whole roundup of universe character profile vids, including Robert Carlyle on Nicholas Rush, Brian J. Smith on Matthew Scott, Elise Levesque on Chloe Armstrong, which is a GateWorld exclusive, David Blue on Eli Wallace, Ming-Na on Camille Ray. Louis Ferreira on Everett Young, Elena Huffman on Tamara Johansson, Jamil Walker-Smith on Ronald Greer, and Lou Diamond Phillips on Telford. Uh, we have uh, a roundup of the character profile vids on GateWorld. That's under a news item, and you can go and check them all out through there. This is another cool thing that MGM did last week when they were launching their new site. They also took these, I think there are nine of them. I think there are, there's one for every main character on the show, and they released them one per site 
a bunch of sites, including GateWorld, got exclusives on these. Uh, exclusives up until the time the site launched, and, and they're all available if you want to see them at stargate.mgm.com. But uh, this is cool stuff. If you are on the fence about Stargate Universe, uh, I think you should watch these character profile videos. This is this is really the first chance to, to start to get to know the cast and what they're what they're doing up there in Vancouver. This stuff got me excited watching these videos. Gateworld features. For DVD features last week, we launched SG-1 Season 2 special features, uh, which included three different uh, sections, a profile on Tilk, a profile on Daniel Jackson, and a production design featurette on Richard Hudolin, uh, who was the production designer on SG-1 up until, I believe, Season 3. So this week, we're since uh, there were two featurettes in Season 3 and Season 4, we're combining those and launching those as a single uh, release this week. So Season 3 had Personnel Files documentary, uh, Stargate Universe documentary, and Season 4 had Alien Species Friend and Foe and Enhanced Visual Effects. I think all four of these are hosted by Don S. Davis and Terrell Rothery. They're in character, and they treat you differently in each of the videos. Friday Five last week was uh, Sweet Alien Ships. This is uh, my top five coolest ships. Uh, aliens, so exclude the Daedalus and Prometheus. Number five is the Ori Warship, lovingly nicknamed the Toilet Bowl. I always called it the Toilet Seat, but okay. Toilet Seat? Well, that's a, yeah. little, that's a little more polite. The top of the ship is shaped like a toilet seat. There's some great discussion on this. A lot of people uh, want to see the Puddle Jumper on this list. A lot of people want to see ancient warships on this list. I'm really looking at designs, I think, for the most part, the, the visual profile of the ship. Uh, and I was never crazy about things like the uh, ancient warship design, but that's just me. So then coming up this week on The Five, we're going to look at Teal'c's best jokes. Ah! This will be fun. This was another reader suggestion. In the next few days, expect a brand new interview with Stargate producer John Lennock. The guy started getting involved in Stargate when he was about 23 years old. I've been meaning to talk with him for a very long time. We finally sat down and talked with him for a couple of weeks ago. Hopefully, we're going to be getting that interview to you in the next few days. It's a good one. I want to go to the nucleus of, of you here. Why did you want to get into this industry? Is it the thing to do in Vancouver? I mean, Vancouver is obviously considered North Hollywood. How did you wind up in this? When I was a kid, I actually wanted to be a doctor, like when I was a little kid. But then... As soon as I saw, it, was, it must have been Indiana Jones, one of the Indiana Jones movies, The Raiders of the Lost Ark, I think. And I said, you know what? I want to be making that kind of a movie. And I never, in my memory or recollection, ever wanted to be a director. I always wanted to be a producer. And and reason being is that a producer sees a project through from the very nucleus, from the beginning stages, from the infantile stages of a project, all the way through until the end. Until you know, And you're still dealing with the studio's years after the the project's done. I love seeing the whole scope of it and putting all the puzzle pieces together because a movie is really, or a series, is really like putting all the pieces of a puzzle together. And so for me, that was the big thing, and that was what I uh, really was looking forward to doing. As the show gets older, you know, obviously you figure out new ways of doing things and find uh, more cost-effective ways of achieving stuff. In season eight, we ended up doing six days an episode, and that was... That really killed the crew. Is that down from seven days an episode? Yeah, it was down from seven. Right now on Universe in season one, we're doing eight days an episode. SG-1 started in season one and through season three, I think, doing seven and a half days an episode. And then went down to seven days an episode. Eight really is the perfect time frame. Which means that you give more time per page, per episode, and you get to fine-tune. As opposed to just moving from thing to thing and and moving on. The main discussion. Hi, this is Tammy Farrar, Gateworld moderator, and the boys apparently have absolutely no clue what romance is all about, because Darren's Googling and David's sitting there hitting his couch, and so they needed an expert. (laughs) (laughs) R-O-M-A. How do you spell it? N-S. Tammy, how do I get the girl at school to like me? Uh, Well, showering is your first thing. You know, forget the axe. Go with uh, just plain old soap and water. You know, you can't cover the smell with the cologne. 
The Axe. What is this? The Shining? No, Axe. Body Spray, axe, the body commercial. Spray. Yeah, ah. this should be like a call-in show, like Tammy's Love Line. How to get the girl. You know, they have eHarmony and Chemistry.com. Well, this is... Gate Love. Gate Love with Tammy. <laughs> this is starting very deceptively because it sounds like this discussion is going to be about how Stargate fans can find romance. <laughs> <laughs> and it's well, actually... Can- Romance in the show of Stargate. Jack Sam, Carson Beckett chair. Calm yourself. I already I already said that. And when you do your editing, you'll see that. This is I said relationships in Stargate. You knew nothing. I hope I did. If not, this is about relationships in Stargate. And it's just mainly on the main characters. We're not uh, looking to go through all the uh, extra characters, you know, Beckett and his chair. Because it's a huge topic. Just talking about the main cast for two shows. Oh my goodness, yes. Overall, we're just going to just discuss and teach you boys something about shipping in fandom and how to do it. So either I'm going to be a little bit more drawn to relationshiping or I'm or going to be even more retracted from it. Yes, you are going to run screaming. You know, we did establish last week that you were a snob. So we know <laughs> but it has so to, are you. This is true. It has to be good romance. And it has to be a happy ending. Oh, yeah. Well, that's me, though. You know, some people like the <laughs> other. So let's just kick off the discussion here gentlemen what is the shipping why is shipping such a big draw for fans because it is one of the biggest contingents of fandom jimmy shows i was able to just list off the top of my head 8 9 10 11 12 13 14 15 shows in less than a minute i was able to list on a piece of paper off the top of my head that have shipping fandoms i don't even watch half of these okay i just know it's out there because of comments made from other people, and I've seen it when I am looking for something else. And so I know it's out there. So I know it's not just a sci-fi, you know, niche. It's not just, you know, girls. It's everywhere. I mean, it is rampant. Why do you think romance novels have 55% of the book market? Because no one can get a date. (laughs) Well, they didn't call me. Love line with Tammy. Well, my opinion is humans need contact and they need to communicate with one another. And there is no more precious or more valuable form of communication than intimacy, in my opinion. This coming from a guy who doesn't really devote much of his life to intimacy whatsoever at this point, is much more interested in work right now. Intimacy can come later. But I I do believe that. You said work. I thought you were going to say Warcraft. (laughs) No, my account is canceled. (laughs) What I'm interested in is the fact that, uh, as opposed to some of these other shows that, that you could list, like, uh, you know, dramas, ER. Shoot, that's not even on my list. Grey's Anatomy, even sci-fi shows like Battlestar Galactica, where relationships are out there kind of front and center. Those are, those are plot mm-hmm. lines and episodes. Right. The romantic relationships between two characters. For the most part on Stargate, that has not really ever been the case, I think, up until this, this past season when we talked about the fact that mckay keller was an ongoing storyline for season five but stargate obviously still has a a huge fan contingency that is into Mm -hmm. shipping even though it's not uh as as blatant it's it's not written into every episode of the show point for consideration um women think about romance a little bit more than men and the stargate writing team has traditionally been a boys club is that well, fair? Wait. Yeah. Is that they not say fair? There's some kind of, um, I can't, you know, don't quote me on these stats, but there is, um, there's a study out there that say women think about romance. What did they say? Women think about sex every two minutes where men think about sex every 30 seconds. And women, when you ask them to define that, women define it as holding hands, uh, hugging, kissing, you know, and men define it as sex, you know, the actual consummation. So... What are people looking for, and why is there such a draw in various shows, like Darren was saying? What makes those shows popular? In general fandom, shipping is huge. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there, there wouldn't be, you know, all the fan fiction out there, all the other things. I love to look at GateWorld Forum, and uh, general Stargate discussion has 342,000 posts, and characters in relationships have 2 million posts. It seems to be something that people like to talk about. Oh, yeah. And so, well, because now, see, I agree with you, David. I think people like to feel touched in some way on an emotional level. And they need to feel emotionally connected to something. Not everyone. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to assign that to everybody. But 
I think that a good number of people need to feel that emotional connection, especially when um, the show is being touted as this could be anybody. This could be you. Well, to David's point, is it fair to say you think that that, uh, in Stargate fandom in particular, that the shipping phenomenon is predominantly or maybe even is it fair to say almost exclusively female? No. I would say it is predominantly female, but not exclusively female. Because there's quite a number of men that are on the threads. You know, it's funny. It's younger men. It's younger men and you have uh, gay men. And if, you know, just speaking from the man point of view, I don't want to offend any, anybody listening. I mean, the women range from, you know, 13 years old all the way up to our oldest member. We're just know. talking predominantly. Predominantly, when you're talking on the women's side, yeah, it's the whole range. It's the yeah. whole age range. I, I don't want to say that for the men only because I've not ran into them. But I can say what I have, you know, discussed with and ran into and seen, you know, in, in the past years mm-hmm. has been, you know, and there's a number. You know, it's it's not predominantly um, and some, you know, it's just, you know, but they are younger. I don't see as many men that are like, say, in their 40s in, in the shipping. OK, you can get up now. <laughs> so there are younger girls out there who are drawing uh, Tammy O'Neill on their notebooks with little hearts around it. That's thunking. You're talking thunking. That's a whole other phenomenon. That's a whole other animal. That's a whole other discussion. That's a whole other animal. The romance side is totally different from, you know, the the fangirling, fanboying side. That's kind of just like seeking out flesh. No, no. The thunk side of it is more the fun where, you know, depending on your age, what you do with it and how much fun you have with it. Because if you, you know, when you're realistic and you're mature and you're... there, you know, you're not thinking, okay, you know, there's at some point, you know, I'm going to meet this person and I maybe can, you know, do something here. Because we go to the conventions, we meet these people, and not one thunker thinks anything's going to happen. And they're not looking to accost the star. Well, I can you tell know? you several instances of ass grabbing, but okay. Then that's just somebody who, that, you know, you, know you're, you can't lump the whole of the fandom on those people who have bad timing and bad taste. Absolutely not. That's disrespecting an, another person's personal space. And it doesn't matter, you know, I mean, it'd be the same if I did that to you, if I did that to Ben Browder. There's no difference there. That's mm-hmm. disrespecting somebody's personal space. Well, we got a ton of feedback on uh, the podcast feedback thread. And we asked uh, last week for the listener question, do you ship and do you think that relationships on Stargate add to or take away from the show? Major Sal wrote, I think relationships add to the show, to any show. People like to be in romantic relationships, so why should Stargate be any different? To me, asking this question is like asking, do you like to eat? And I think that ties back into what David and I were saying. It's just something that's a need human. It's the human contact, the the emotional need. Mm-hmm. It's there. You know, it's part of everyday life. Mm-hmm. Well, you can suppress it, but that doesn't mean it's going away. And that's one of the things that I loved about Stargate SG-1 was I'm not an anti-shipper, but I don't really care about it. I enjoyed that there was an emotional tension beneath the surface with a couple of uh, significant characters. But I love the fact that it didn't go anywhere because the Air Force wouldn't allow it. So that was one of the really nice things that kept it at bay. Yeah, and see, and that was a misnomer that the Air Force wouldn't quote unquote allow it. The Air Force said to them, if you want us to advise you on this program, you do not put Jack and Sam together. That's what they okay. told them. Okay, so that was them telling the show that because the actual regulation is a little different. And then, of yeah. course, they were more willing on Atlantis to do that sort of thing. And that was something that we had never really seen before was was uh, two main cast members getting together at the end of season five. So Stargate, for what has come out so far, has really run the gamut and Universe is just a blank page. And that's going to be a little different there. Let me go on with um, we'll go on with Rachel since she also had something to say here. Rachel 500, she says a romantic relationship between characters can bring out facets of the character that we wouldn't see in a friendship environment. It creates another layer of angst and drama when one is in danger, it creates a new motivation for the character's actions and decisions. Another reason for me is that I would find it completely unrealistic that over a significant period of time, as in the case of SG-1, 10 years, that the characters wouldn't have a romantic liaison or two other than each other or outside of the team. Romance is a natural part of our existence, and connecting with someone on a romantic level Whoever that is does affect the choices we make as individuals. The ramifications and impact of that 
can be fascinating. Now, that I found really indicative of why so many people were frustrated with SG-1. Mm. For 10 years, you've got this going on. And I think we, we hit on that the one time when we, you know, we were saying, Darren, you had said that it was nice to see Sam with Pete for a little while because you got to see her being a person you know, outside of the SGC. Yeah, right. You got to see her being a girl. Right. Rachel makes a good point here, though, that yeah. it, it adds a layer to the show, to what's going on uh, between the characters, and individual stories can come out of that. Like The big example for Sam and Jack is obviously season four's Divide and Conquer, where their feelings toward each other was, was the pivotal plot point there. And she had made the point, too, that you know, had the little moments prior to that not occurred, you couldn't have had that episode. And it wouldn't I think, have made any sense. Right. And so, you know, there's there's key things here. And by not having something in there for the characters, it's not natural. If you don't have that in there, when you've got these people that are in an environment that's closed off, that's secret, you can't talk to anybody about it, it, it forms something. And then on top of it, you've got two people that from the very first episode had chemistry. And that was just basic casting because that's what they do. Fans are going to pick up on that because that's something that the show does in the first place. They want you to, you know, root for that lead lead man and lead woman. I love that every audience member sees what they want to see. To give a quick nod to the slashers, there are some people who literally don't see any connection between Jack and Sam, but see a huge romantic connection between Jack and Daniel. And I don't see it, but they do. And the fact that they can see it and still draw enjoyment from the show is amazing to me. Mm -hmm. I'm cool with that. It's just not me. It's the same thing, you know. I mean, that's not to say that chemistry can't be found in many different ways. Mm -hmm. And they had a great chemistry, you know, that played off each other. Those two men had a great chemistry. They still mm-hmm. do. Whatever floats your boat. Why is shipping such a controversial point in fandom? Why do we have so much animosity between people who don't ship and people who do? That's a great question. I'm not sure how to answer it. I mean, there are obviously fans who watch the show and specifically don't want romance in it. You know, they want to see special effects and, and action and cool aliens and, you know, not just the, the cool factor, but... But uh, everything that goes into a, an action adventure, even a drama, that's not lovey-dovey. Two characters smooching and holding hands. As a neutral shipper, uh, I have to say that if I had never gone on a forum in the entire 10-year run of SG-1 or entire 5-year run of Atlantis, it wouldn't have occurred to me whatsoever. It would not have been a problem. But going on the forum and seeing just how many people are enthralled by shipping, I can see how some people would say, whoa, that's not me. Or that's not what the show is about. And become an anti-shipper because of that. So a lot of it is fandom created. I have to agree with you on that. If you weren't participating in the fandom, you may not have any stance on it whatsoever. But because you go onto the forum and you see 300,000 posts or whatever in the general discussion and 2 million posts and characters and relationships, you kind of go, whoa, because you can't ignore that. I can't ignore it, and it's right there in front of me. I have to say now, when I very first came online looking for Stargate, what prompted me to even go to my computer and look was Sam and Jack because I wanted to see if anybody else out there thought what I thought. Because it was a very subtle point, and it's romance. The first few forums that I, I touched on, everything was so derogatory. And anytime anyone would voice, you know, a, a like of it, the responses were just, whoa, okay, you know. Yeah, it can get nasty. I mean, I remember back in the pre-Atlantis days when, when most of this focus was on Sam and Jack. There was not only a, a shipping faction, there was an anti-shipping faction. And so I was really caught by why. If you don't like ship, if you don't think Sam and Jack ought to be together, and you don't think there's anything between them, how does it affect your viewing if I do? How does it change what's happening in your living room that I write in a post, this is what I saw? That's where my, my disconnect started happening, where I was like, okay, why is this such a point of contention? And I understand it, David. I don't want to say I don't. You know, I mean, I do understand people have their own personal viewpoint and they see it as at sometimes overshadowing the show or possibly there could be, a, you know, that voice could get loud enough to where they feel it might influence the show they love. Leave the shippers alone if they want to ship fine. But I'm sure there are a couple of shippers out there, you know, that when you state your opinion, I don't see them together. 
that a few, just a few people might jump on you. How can you not see X and Y together? Are you crazy? Are you insane? I, I, and that's what breeds an anti-shipper. Again, you know, I think that's the people. It's not the fandom. Because the, the overall fandom of people that are against shipping or just don't really want it in their show, you know, they could care less what I have to say about shipping. You know, that's, you know, they don't care. They're not going to read my post about shipping. They really don't care. They live and let live. You know, you see it, Lovely I don't move on. feature that we use. Yes, and that ignore feature. They can't ignore me. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> By the same token, yes, there are shippers. And, you know, and that even ties over to the shows themselves, people that are just you know, high, you know, high on the show itself and high on the, the ship factor, you know, they can be just as obnoxious about it as someone who's against, you know, the ship or someone who's against. So I have to agree. But it just always struck me as why. And maybe that's a, a question the fans need to answer for themselves is, you know, why, why create that when it's not even there within the show? It's not there within your own household when you're watching it. The only place it is is on that forum board. Yeah, I think Optimus Chekhov has a, a really interesting post here. He says, I personally dislike the entire idea of shipping, and I do wonder why I have this deep-seated dislike. Is it because it's girly and I try to be macho, perhaps? Is it the fact that a second story is being performed and fans are sticklers for continuity? Is it because we're ignoring the story's real aims? And that last statement there, I think, is really interesting because there's been a great deal of debate, especially over Sam and Jack and SG-1, over whether it's there or whether it's just all in the shippers' heads. And this idea from non-shippers that it's uh, distracting from the story. Because unless you're watching an episode that is about a relationship like Divide and Conquer or Grace in Season 7, reading those shippy moments into every look and every glance and every line of dialogue in every episode... I could see how that could get taxing sometimes. But the only place you're going to see that is if you actually go into a ship thread. Or mm-hmm. if you're in an episode thread, you might run across a handful of people that are going to, you know, squee over a moment. You know, like, mm-hmm. oh, did you see the, you know, and then I like this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but again, the most you can say is, well, you know, I don't really think that's what the story was about. I didn't see that uh, and move on from it. You know, but and so I understand. I understand what he's saying, and I agree with it. I think, in the sense of, you know, I think. But for me, it was more: is it girly or the macho thing? And I think that's where David brought in, where he he had this conception of it was mostly women. Is that why you know guys are like ah ship da da da? I do base my opinion of Stargate fandom largely on the people that I have met, not so much the people that I whose words I see in the forum. I think it's interesting though. In the Siege Part Three, the season two uh, premiere of Atlantis, we are. Give Shepard a hug after he saves the city, and mm-hmm. Martin Garrow at the time was uh, was posting on the forum, and someone asked Martin, "You know, is this a sign of something going on?" And Martin's like, "What are you talking about? If Shepard just saved my life, I would have hugged him." And that's true. Let's, you know, since we've kind of predominantly stayed on uh, SG One, let's switch over to SGA for a minute. Uh, with a lot of this, you know, they they had the same things going on where you have, you know, there's a large contingent of people that see Shepard and Weir together. There's a large contingent that sees Shepard and Taylor together. Mm-hmm. And I think now in this particular case, this, I think, was an intentional thing done by the the powers that be. Because I think they saw what kind of response they were getting during SG-1 for that unresolved, you know, sexual tension and everything going on with Sam and Jack that I really feel that they were trying to actively play off of it now with Stargate Atlantis. And actually create that? Yes, and I think they were trying to create, but they they were doing it with a very broad net. They were doing it with Taylor and Ronan. They were doing it with, you know, Shepard and, you know, you know, it was, you know, basically Ronan, McKay, and... Shepard, you know, had their little smorgasbord of women, and they just kind of played off <laughs> all of them. Mm. And, and well, you know, it's, it's kind of like not, throw it up against the wall, and whatever sticks for each person. I agree, David. I don't have a problem with that. Well, they but have I to do... figure out what's going to work. They they have to see whose scenes <sighs> really really catch fire and spark. Okay. When... Well, I don't think they thought that far. I think they were just thinking, "Hey, this formula works. We're going to throw it out there." That's yes. and that is my opinion. <laughs> you know, that is totally my opinion. They did it better in SG one because it was subtle, it was behind it was in the you know, backboard unless they made it something that was 
uh, like Divide and Conquer or Beneath the Surface. You know, both of those episodes had really heavy connotations uh, that you could, you know, really read something into where, you know, they had very different ones. You know, what was the, the one where uh, we're, uh, I want to say something world, uh, where she was, you know, in the real mental world? hospital, real world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were some moments in there that, you know, shippers could really grab onto with, you know, with Shepard, you know, carrying her to here and there and then going in and risking his own life to try to help her. And so, but then they turn around and they have the dream with Shepard near the end after we're gone where he's with Taylor. And so they were playing off so many different things that it was more like, for lack of a better way to say this, somebody's living out their boyhood dream here. You know, they've got these three, you know, great male characters to work with. And they've got these great women to work with. And it's like, okay, who do, who do I feel like I like today? And it felt very high school. Hmm. I never really saw that. Thinking back over the, the five years of Atlantis, especially I think the first three when Weir was around, it seemed, it seemed to me watching Rising that uh, they initially set up the characters in that way to have those sort of ambiguous relationships. You know, who is going to... Who are the fans going to ship over? Who's who are they going to flirt? Uh, you know, meeting the alien princess with Taylor seemed to be a huge candidate for me. I thought that they were going to ship Taylor and Shepard from the beginning, but it, as far as I'm watching the show, they didn't really do it. I mean, there's no. with a, a few examples like uh, conversion when when mm-hmm. Shepard is being taken over by the the wraith DNA right. or whatever it is and gets a crazy animal. There's there's a hint of something under the surface between him and Taylor, but otherwise I just didn't see it. I didn't see any romantic sparkage, any sexual tension at all between Shepard and Taylor or Shepard and Weir. Well, now see, and I would have to say I saw more between Shepard and Weir only because different scenes where you know he was when uh, Colia when he had Weir and you know I don't again I'm bad with the names of the episodes where you know they're in the rain and he's you know basically you hurt her type of thing. I, you know, I'm going to kill the you. Yeah. Those are things that shippers are going to see. You know, that's what they see. And that's the moment. Or when John's going off to, you know, go now, he's basically going to go off on a suicide flight. He stops. I'm thinking of scenes here um, on the stairs and turns around and looks at, at Weir and says, you know, I have to. And she's, she's just looking, looking up at him. You know, like oh, it's that hero moment with mm-hmm. his, with his, his woman, you know, and those are, those are scenes that, you're like that's what the shippers are seeing, and that's what they're they're homing in on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally see what they're seeing and and why mm-hmm. they pick up on things the way that they are. I just I'm not an anti-shipper by any means, but uh, I don't know. I just especially in Atlantis, I I don't know how else to say it. I didn't see it. I saw moments like that, and I understand how shippers are are seeing it. But mm-hmm. for for my two cents, I'm seeing it as you know he's talking to his commanding officer and his friend. Well, I'm more with you on that, too, in the sense of I didn't see as much defined in Atlantis, but but I think it's because they just tried to really cast a wide net to play off of it as much as they possibly could. If you want to see something like that, you have to be looking for it. Right. It, and I, in a couple I, yeah. of cases, in, in SG-1, obviously, with the pair that we've been talking about a lot, and in Atlantis with McKay and Keller at the very end, unless it's something like that, you have to be looking for it. Well, you know what? And now that you brought up McKay and Keller, um, you kind of bring us to the, you know, to that point where they did finally, you know, they did write an, a canon relationship. Mm-hmm. I think that um, the way it was written, the McKay and Keller, you know, when you when you bring in the canonship of McKay and Keller, uh, the way that was written, it was rushed, so it did it a disservice. Mm. What could have been um, a really, you know, something uh, kind of. Uh, new for Stargate to have a canon relationship uh, kind of got bogged down in cliche. Uh, not only did they try to, you know, throw that little triangle thing in there with Ronan, uh, then, you know, on top of it, they had, um, they kind of did, you know, kind of kicked some characters to the curb, you know, because people were enjoying the the gal that was with McCasley. Uh There was a lot of comedy in that. There was a lot of... Um, the Katie Brown felt- relationship. Correct, and that had that had more of a, a McKay feel, you know, because he's kind of you know inept and bumbly when it comes to social interaction. And so with her, it 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 was done just like Sam and Jack. It was done subtly. It was done slowly. It was done over time. Um, 
where, you know, it kind of came out of the blue with uh, all of a sudden Ronan's got feelings for, you know, Keller and so does McKay. And now, you know, now they're going to kind of, you know, go at it. Yeah, it was kind of out of the blue. That's kind of where you still felt like, okay, somebody's living out of fantasy here. Yeah, there were elements of that that I wish they would have played up a little bit more. I mean, I could I could buy Ronan having those sorts of feelings for Keller a lot more if they made it more explicit that she reminded him of his wife. Morena. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I, I agree with you on that. But yeah, I like the concept. I like the fact that they decided to do it, to, to mm-hmm. put two main characters together. And I thought that for Rodney's character, it was a nice little... A little pay off uh, some developments uh, a, a nice happy ending for him but yeah the way that they actually executed it I can't think of a whole lot of episodes other than, than maybe Trio when it the the flirting first starts that I really cared all that much for yeah and see and I can't either I can't even you know I can't even rattle off scenes like I can do for all the other characters for, for that particular uh Three, those three people, I, I can not say anything other than I remember the whole scene in the infirmary with uh, Ronan and Keller where they almost kissed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that kind of came, that was a little out of the blue, but if you really suspended disbelief, you could say, okay, well, you know, that's when he was supposedly, you know, kind of putting her in the place of his, his uh, dead wife. Um, he was having feelings. There was, you know, a whole lot of... Uh, you know, what do they say when you're in exceptional circumstances? Sometimes, you know, in the, the trauma of everything, uh, people do extraordinary things. But, you know, you could kind of see it there, but it was it seemed a little weird. Spinal Breaker says ships are good, but shouldn't be focused on too heavily. And if there is a ship, it needs to be clarified. I love that most of the relationships that are hinted at are just hinted at mm-hmm. and that fanfic can run amok in any number of directions. They're not boxed in and it's all fair game. I'm not a fanfic writer, but you know, it gives them flexibility. Uh, and it, it allows me as an audience member to make up whatever story I want to see outside of the story that's being told. How many people that don't get online are going to go seek out fan fiction or are going to go watch videos or are going to go do all that thing? And these people don't get the closure or, you know, they don't get, you know, that whatever, that happy ending. Fans so, are impossible to please. As a producer are... of a show, you have to recognize that at some point fans are impossible to please. Fans are the United Nations. Hmm. You cannot yes. please them. At some point, they are all going to feel screwed. But so you how, have to do the best you can and at the end of the day. Make the show that you want to make. But at what point does that become a cop-out answer? Because human nature is not changing rapidly. And this is a formula that has, has worked the test of time. So we're not talking about, you know, rocket science here. We're talking about selling a TV show. I have to kind of pull that one back a little. I, and I definitely want every, you know, producer, writer to be as creative as they possibly can be and ignore me. But if you're going to present a product and you want to give it for public consumption, you tell me one marketer out there that doesn't ask for customer feedback and try to adjust in some manner to get the largest customer base. And, you know, so in human nature being human nature, and that's and I do think that, that both Stargate and Stargate Atlantis have done that, and I, I can see it now in Stargate Universe. I mean, they know they've done the plot-driven shows, they, you know, and they've done fantastic with that. They're already setting up new ships in the trailers. Yeah, and see, so now here you go. You know, now they're going to try the character driven because I I think they're seeing that, you know, they can do that just as well. And there's nothing that stops that. And people do want that. They do want that. And some people, like you say, you know, I want the happy ending. Some people don't care if there's a happy ending. Some people just turn it off at the end of the night and go to bed. Yeah, you know, they could care less. Where others, you know, <gasps> you know, they have to squee and thank God they come on the forum and they chat about it for hours upon end and, you know, click away and drag their friends on there. It does seem like it has a lot to do with the kind of show that you make. I mean, if I was going and watching a, a an action movie, I wouldn't necessarily expect to see a lot of romance in it. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, an action adventure show like like SG One or Atlantis, I wouldn't expect to see romance right up front and center like it is in other shows. But Universe, it's if it's character driven, then yeah, we've got to we've got to recognize as writers and producers of this show that part of the human condition is is love, and you put these characters together on a ship with no way to get home and confined quarters, and people are going to start hooking up. And I expect to see that on the show. Yeah. Well, that kind of brings us around to the final point is, you know, how well do we think the writers have handled it? And we've kind of already been touching on that. Well, since we only have a few minutes left, why don't we uh, hand this over to the podcast listeners and hear how they felt about how the writers did everything with SG-1 and SGA. Sam Carter Rules wrote, yes, I wholeheartedly shipped Sam and Jack. I think ship adds to Stargate as long as like Sam and Jack, it's built up slowly. And most of the time it's a B story. Then I say yes to ship. It's an integral part of the show. For me, it makes the characters more real and helps me to relate to them better. After all, we're humans. We're driven by our emotions. So why should our TV characters be different? The powers that be have often said that Stargate is a way for us, the viewers, to examine the human condition. And love is a huge part of the human condition. When the powers that be recognize that when you're telling people these people could be someone you met on the street, well, then you expect them to be like you. That means you're a multifaceted character and you're well-rounded. And then you have the added bonus of, you know, how many, you know, fans admire these people. They admire Sam Carter. They admire Jack O'Neill. They admire Daniel Jackson. They admire Teal'c. They admire Colonel Shepard, Weir, you know, McKay, whoever. Um, and they're, that's the heroes to them. Well, the hero gets their person in the end. They want to know that they can do the job and have the life and have it all and save the world in the end. That's who they admire. That's their hero. Lucy Lee says, I always had fun shipping or slashing Sam and Jack and Daniel Jack on SG-1 and then Sparky, Shayla, and Mick Shep on SGA. But the fun really turned sour when they actually had a cannon ship on screen. McKellar just felt so forced and unnatural that it actually diminished my enjoyment of the show. So I think I liked the hints, the looks, the implication that a ship might exist in Stargate because it let my imagination provide the details. I just don't feel the writers in this particular franchise were able to make it work and present a real relationship on the show. Koronok wrote, Personally, I am not much of a shipper per se. However, the idea of romantic relationships on Stargate have always been a contentious point for me, as I don't think the writers have handled these types of relationships well in the past. Furthermore, it's something I really would like to see in canon on Stargate. Though I don't actively ship, I'm fully willing to support a relationship that is written and executed well on screen. A good relationship to me is one that takes time to develop, and this definitely applies to on-screen romance as well. If rushed, it comes off as a bit forced and also cannot be simply alluded to for a decade and never capitalized upon. I think if the writers can strike the balance for what I and apparently others are looking for, a romantic relationship on Stargate could fit quite well into the weekly storyline. I think a nice topic to bring this to a close is this question of confirmation. Does uh, a relationship need to be consummated? Mac Jackson says, I'm not one who wishes for non-existent romances to happen. However, when they are there and done as well as Stargate does them, then I support it. It never drove the series, but is a realistic, important part of our heroes' lives that show them as human. However, it is crucial that the audience in the end gets the happy ending that they've been waiting for such as we did with McKay and Keller. Otherwise, it's just mean. Is it mean that the writers have never given an, an overt confirmation of Sam and Jack? Well, being a Sam and Jack shipper, I'm going to have to say yes. You know, that's a given. Because, you know, now, granted, I've already in my own little storyline in my head put them together because of comments that were made, and I think that the the powers that be felt they gave a nod to it and you know we're giving some closure to it um but not overtly not not like they did with uh, mckay and keller you know they they put it right out there which um i think a lot of sam and jack shippers felt slighted that they had been loyal for 10 years and they got nothing mm. i just don't understand it i don't as far as i'm concerned they got confirmation and closure in divide and conquer Jack said, I care about her a lot more than I'm supposed to. Hmm. And Sam felt the exact same way. That's all you're going to get. And that, please let me finish. That's all you're going to get. And in my opinion, that's all you need. 
they care about each other. They love each other, most likely. You don't need much more than that. And in my opinion, I think you're wrong. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> it's perfectly okay. Can I mediate this dispute? This is how I, I read this relationship, and it's not going to make Sam and Jack shippers happy. But you look at Divide and Conquer and what happened there, and then Jack moves on and gets promoted. And then you see... Uh, this is before the promotion, but uh, I'm thinking of season seven's grace. A lot of what this episode is about for Sam as a character is kind of of uh, you know realizing what she truly loves and who she truly loves, and I think in a lot of ways kind of letting go. There's sort of this balance between uh, not settling for second best and letting go and being willing to move on with your life. So that's kind of where I see Sam and Jack now until there's some official confirmation that they are living together or seeing each other or engaged or whatever you want to speculate is going on post season eight. Um, I think that that's probably where their relationship is, is that they're very much uh, in love with each other and care about each other, but it's not necessarily going anywhere. Well, and that's where um, Rachel... 500 had pointed out to me because I had said, you know, was saying, well, what about this one scene that, you know, and it was for me the pivotal scene that closed it for me. Mm. And I guess it's from uh, season nine where she's in the um, surveillance van with uh, Agent Barrett and he's asking her out and she's like, um, no, because now because she wasn't with Pete anymore. And he's like, oh, so you're available. You want to go out to dinner? And she's like, uh, no, I'm not available. And for me, that was the closure because she is seeing somebody and she said that she said no i'm seeing somebody somebody and that was the nod to for me personally that was my nod to back jack because now they were no longer in the same chain of command they were no longer in that position but they were feeling their way through and that's how i looked at it mm-hmm. and that was my happy ending quote unquote enclosure in season nine and i've left it at that Hi guys, my name is Anita and I'm calling from Sweden. I wanted to thank you so much for the podcast. They sort of brighten up my spring and summer here. I've been listening to them back to back and they're just amazing. And you asked what we think about shippers. I don't know that word, but I can understand it. I like a bit of romance. I don't mind it at all. What I don't like is when it's become too much. Like this shepherd doing a kirk. With a new girl on every planet every week. That's not really believable and frankly it's a bit boring as well. But you know, it should be a bit subtle like, you know, those two guys at SG-1. Uh, and in Atlantis it's quite cool with the, you know, you see subtlety sometimes between John and, you know, the leading lady. You're listening to the Gateworld Podcast. Thank you, Tammy, for joining us tonight. What a good discussion. Got a little heated there for a minute. Yeah, that was fun. Relationships is such a huge topic. I was worried that we would not be able to do it justice. And we have one more piece of uh, voicemail on another topic. Here's Thomas. Hi, guys. Uh, my name is Thomas, and I'm calling from Ontario, Canada. And I was just wanted to ask you one of the biggest questions and problems I've had with Stargate Atlantis since I started watching the series. And that is, uh, what powers the space gates? Because uh, you see they have these little rockets around, positioned around the edges, and um, those rockets seem to just spontaneously generate power on their own and don't need to be maintained and can just go on their own for millions of years in the end. They still have to provide enough power to create an outgoing wormhole, so... I just don't know what powers that. Is it some sort of like zero-point module-like thing? I don't know. So if you could just answer that on one of your podcasts, that'd be great. There are three giant football-shaped nodes, and in each one of those nodes, there's a hamster running in a wheel. Oh, a hamster. Yeah, because he, he saw the nodes. He recognizes that that's doing something. So it's a hamster inside? And he's just, like, immortal. I'm sure every once in a while there's, like, a food drop thing in there. And since there's three of them, they're probably always taking shifts. So, okay. And it's space, so it's at night. The question, I think, has a lot to do with the fact that the Stargate system is as old as it is. So yeah. tens of thousands of years later, 
why are those uh, still going? If you know, we're draining ZPMs every year. Well, because the the writers need them to work for story. I mean, when it really comes down to it, that's what it is. Yeah, there's something in there that is either really, really long lasting, or it's it's perpetually regenerating. Yeah, I don't think it's a ZPM though. No, it wouldn't be. Otherwise, we would have taken them. Ah, that's a good point, yeah. That's just another one of those things that was never solved, that was never explained. Here's what's coming up on the podcast. Next week on July 22nd, we're talking about SG-1 Season 7. And here's our listener question. What is your favorite episode from Stargate SG-1 Season 7, and why do you think it's the best? I can place some bets as to what this one will be, um, but I'm going to hold off and try to keep from influencing people. Some definite candidates here. There's some good stuff in Season 7. There's some good stuff in Season 7. This is the last season that had 22 episodes. Yes. So maybe our conversation will be a little shorter. (laughs) Yeah, all of probably about six minutes shorter, but still. That'll be next week, July 22nd, and on July 29th, we'll do a little philosophy podcast again and talk about demolecularizing your soul. What happens to you when you step through that event horizon? If you don't believe in a soul, you're probably going to find this one a little boring and esoteric. Um, But, yeah. And then on August 5th, we'll come back to our Stargate History series and talk about SG-1 Season 8. Well, that's our show for this week. Thanks for tuning in once again. Thanks to Tammy for stopping by and giving us what for. We talked about relationships in Stargate and gave you a preview of our upcoming interview with producer John Lennick. Look for that on GateWorld in just a few days. And for links to everything we talked about today, head over to the site and look for the episode number 51 show notes. That's right. Send us your feedback via the hotline at 616-712-1647 or post a message in the podcast feedback thread in GateWorld form. You must have an account, a registered valid account. That's right. That's right. I had a good time tonight, despite the fact that I've been on the road for nine hours. I had a, I had a very good time. Yeah, Trial by fire. I am. My house is 90 degrees now. It's finally gone down a little bit. It's 9 o'clock at night. 12 o'clock for you. Mm-hmm. Good show. Good times. Should we do it again? We should. Let's do it next week. On the Gate World Podcast. Yeah. <laughs>